Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is Nee Shobo, and you're listening to Think Gold. We have a special guest here in the building. This might be my favorite guest that I have on my show, man. We're so blessed to have him here. He is a former fullback who played college football in the Pac-12 and played for the Saints. He is now the host of his sports motivational podcast and his mentorship program called I'm Not You. Um, Nia has been one of my mentors and he's truly opened my eyes up to so much. He's opened my eyes up to the importance of mindset and, you know, just the things that aren't really talked about when trying to dominate your sport. And he really opened my eyes up today, and I thank him so much. And I'm so happy to have him on here, man. Nee, how you doing today, brother? Doing great, man. It's so it's super great to be on your show, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We appreciate you coming on, man. And uh, you're now the owner of the I'm Not You program, where he actually mentors athletes and entrepreneurs all around the world to become high performers so that's awesome, man. That's awesome. How have you how have you been dealing with the, the quarantine? Nee? Man, I've uh I've been blessed, man, in the sense of so I got I have four children. Okay. Uh or five children, four of them here now. Yeah. And um and we have one of my philosophy I'm big and you know this, I'm big on independence, I'm big on control, I'm big on uh making sure that you're prepared. So in that way, um, I work from home. I love working from home and that's how it's been for me. So I have my uh, we homeschool all our children. Uh, my office is here. Uh, my library is here. I work out from home. So uh, I'm a homebody in general. So this hasn't affected my day to day that much. Yeah. Uh, and I'm very blessed from a business sense in that it hasn't affected my operations and how I run my business. Kids are still doing homeschool, et cetera. But uh, I would say my wife and my eight year old daughter, Samaya, they are the ones who are most struggling because they really love being out and about. So um, it's been struggling for them just having to be in the house and not being able to go to the store, go to the mall you know, go to, uh, go to the park, but, uh, we're maintaining, man. And I'm, I'm blessed. Yeah. I mean, there's only two ways to look at it. You can look at it as something that's holding you back or you can find ways to overcome it, man. And I know you and your family is definitely overcoming this thing. And, uh, you're one of the highest performers I know, man. So I kind of want to know how you even like got to this, this point to where you're at now in your life. How have you developed this mindset? So if you don't mind, um, could you kind of talk about the environment you were raised in and, and what was it like for you to grow up as a child? Definitely, man. So my pops uh, came here from Nigeria when he was 18 years old. Oh, wow. Um, my dad actually was he was the one in his family who was responsible for uh, bringing his family to the United States. He had like nine brothers and sisters and he was the first one to come out here. And I was the third of four boys. And so we were a very athletic family, very competitive, if you will. My dad, uh, of course, being from Nigeria and raised in the way that he was, he uh really embraced discipline, hmm. uh, really embraced a, a sense of independence. And um, he held us to a very high standard. So, of course, you know, you got a, a family full of boys, all uh, competitive, all athletic. Um, you know, it's all about trying to figure out where you fit in, if you will. And yeah. So I was always the one who was I was the shy one. I was it, it seemed like I was always the one doing something different, if you will, even from a school standpoint. So uh, anyone who has an, a father 
or anyone or any father or mother from Africa, I would say, I'm going to say yeah. is your parents probably valued education. And so um, how you did in school was a big deal. And I wasn't the best in school. You know, I wasn't horrible, but I definitely didn't live up to my dad's standards. So we bumped heads a lot. Uh, and one of the things that was true about our family is everyone plays soccer. Mm. And I actually, um, I, around sixth grade is when I started to really hate soccer. You know, I was a little, I was bigger. I was actually chubbier in high school as well. And I just hated running. And I started just really uh, loathing soccer practice. And that's when I decided I wanted to play football. I had a bunch of friends who were playing football. And so I started playing football in seventh grade and I just fell in love with it, man. Like I just loved playing football, how physical it was. It was a great outlet for me, even from just like a lot of the frustrations that I had that I wasn't able to articulate yeah. and uh, deal with on my own. It was a great outlet for me. And I was pretty good. I, I was never like great, never like the best person on my team. Uh, but I loved it, you know, and I had a good baseline, you know, degree of, you know, athleticism. And so uh, that took me all the way through high school and I did okay. I did pretty well in high school, but I, I was never like an all American or all city or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but I just improved. And so, um, on my senior year, I decided to try to walk on at Oregon State. Uh, and I had the opportunity to go to some smaller schools, but I was I really loved the idea of being able to play in a Pac-10 school, Pac-12 now, but at the time Pac-10. And of course, I wanted to make it to the NFL. And I, I remember very vividly, you know, in high school, you know, talking to my, my high school girlfriend, we, she'd take me to Subway after practice and I'd be like, yeah, we, I'm about to make it to the league. And that was really when my, my league dream yeah, started yeah, you know man that's a that's um, a dream come true just being at a, a big right. school like that right and so i got the chance to walk on at oregon state and when i got there you know uh again it was a big wake-up call for me um it was of course super competitive i remember you know in, in high school i was a fullback and i was able to really i was always able to like muscle my opponents i was bigger than them and I remember the first time I got to uh, to to Oregon State and we'd be put on pads for the first time. And I remember it was a little it was like a sweep to the right. And I and I had to block a corner. And so I'm thinking, oh, I'm a, I'm about to body this dude. And I remember I tried to block him and he literally stood me up. And it was <laughs> like it was like the food from oh, my man. stomach came and got yeah. stuck in my throat. <laughs> and I was like that was like a big wake up call. I was like, man, these cornerbacks are strong. Everybody's strong out here. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I just, uh, you know, kept working and slowly got, you know, a chance to to get some playing time. And I was playing a lot more than a lot of guys who had scholarships. And of course, I wanted a scholarship. And that was what I was aiming for. I was pressing the coaches about it. They kept making me promises and et cetera. And uh, didn't really live up to the promises, if you will. I'm sure you're probably aware of like, you know, how it kind of mm -hmm. is in yep. college football. They'll tell you one thing, et cetera. So. I saw the writing on the wall, man, and I, I dipped after three seasons uh, because I really wanted a scholarship. I had a, my first son when I was 19 years old, uh, my sophomore year in college, and it wasn't it wasn't really viable for me to just be playing and not getting you know a scholarship. Yeah. And so I transferred to Portland State. I reached out to a bunch of schools all on my own. I sent them you know my film uh, and sent emails to all the coaches and you know people at Portland State, which is the city where I'm from. 
you know, offered me a scholarship, went there, didn't have a great junior year, but my senior year, I really uh, hit the ground running, if you will, and just had a breakout year. Uh, there was an injury. So I, there was actually a guy in front of me who was a freshman who was an all-American fullback. I mean, this dude was slated to be like the the next, he all-American, you know what I'm saying? And so yeah. it was kind of frustrating because here I am a senior trying to get to the league and I'm playing behind this all, you know, all-world fullback. Uh, but he got hurt. And sure enough, I was ready and made it happen. And then I got a chance to uh, I got picked up by the New Orleans Saints in the in the um, in the uh, what do you call it after the draft uh, free agency. Okay. And um, and there, you know, got to start my first year, but just got held back due to injury. You know, so injuries in both of the years I was there, it got released, you know, had a few teams trying to pick me up afterward, but nothing really materialized. So here I am two years out of, out of, uh, Portland or out of new Orleans and, um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, man, you know, and at, at this point I had four children, you know, I was working at this factory just trying to like make money. Cause I went broke within like the first year I was out the league and just trying to figure out what I wanted to do, man. And that was when, you know, I started training and, and started helping out young athletes who I saw, I, I was coaching at a, a local high school, Grant high school here in Portland. Okay. And I saw that I would look at these young cats and I'm like, man, they, they got so much talent, but they have no idea what it takes to really perform at a high level. And I was very aware that if they didn't get taught the things that I knew, the things that I experienced, like they wouldn't have a chance. And that meant a lot to me. And so I started taking a lot of these guys under my wing, started teaching them uh, the mindset that they needed to have and really training them in the gym, teaching them how to eat right uh, and things like that. And over time, that evolved into what I'm not you is right now, which is teaching high performers, of course, elite athletes, but also uh, those who want to approach their craft like an elite athlete, teaching them how to approach their sport purely from the mental side, right? Yeah. Uh, and really the strategic side. We're talking about the systems, the habits, the discipline, the intangible qualities that a lot of people talk about, but they never really teach us how to how to build them. And this is what I go about teaching people how to do very practically in the same way you go to the gym and you learn how to work out. I teach the mental aspect of, of what it takes to dominate your sport. And here I am now, uh, several years later, of course, at the league, it's like 10 years post NFL and uh, have two podcasts coaching hundreds of, of clients all around the world, almost every corner of the globe. Yeah. Um, and, and just super excited about what I do, man, and, and loving it. You love what you do, man. This is why I want you on the show, man. I could tell you, you did that, that spill a lot of times before, man. A lot of people probably ask you how you got to this point. Right. There's so much to dissect in there. Um, I want to talk about you just walking on the Oregon State. Mm hmm. So what what made you want to walk on to Oregon State and pass up on these smaller schools? Right. Man, it's funny because to me, it never even was worth debating too much. Like, okay. for example, like when you and this is a, a, a lost the art of knowing what you want. Yeah. Like most people know what they want, but they're so trained to uh, to believe things like, I don't know if I can. I'm not sure if that's possible, et cetera. My philosophy has always been, if this is what I want, then why would I not go after that? Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why would I why would I not go after that? Meaning, what do I have to lose? I've always yeah. sort of had that 50 cent mentality, get rich or die trying. Like, I would rather get rich and, and die trying than just try to live a modest life knowing that I wanted something bigger. So for me, it was easy. I love football. I love, I wanted to get to the NFL and what better 
the idea of playing at a small school that that just didn't excite me. So obviously I would still be able to play, but it was like if I have a chance, an opportunity to go and walk on at Oregon State, which I did, I had the opportunity to walk on there. I knew nothing was guaranteed, but I also knew that once I was on the team, I'm on the team. It's like, you know, as well as I do, it's like football is a very, you know, bottom line sport, if you will. It's like if you balling, you balling. So for me, it was an opportunity to be around, you know, higher quality athletes, be able to travel, you know, and play in big arenas. I'm thinking playing at the Rose Bowl, you know what I'm saying? Like that was a much better um, idea to me than, of course, going a different route. Not saying that another route yeah. wouldn't have, uh. you know, I wouldn't have been able to get to the league. A lot of guys make it to the league in a lot of different ways. But for me, I knew what I wanted. And uh, it, it was a no brainer in that sense. Uh, I asked that question because I feel like and, and now to society, a lot of students are, you know, passing up on those those smaller schools and they're trying to go big. Mm-hmm. But it's not really because, you know, they want to go big, but if they want to be perceived as a kid who went big in a sense. Right. And so they're, they're missing out on a lot of playing time and they get there and they realize like, wow, I should have went to the smaller school because it fit me better. But in your sense, it sounds like, you know, you were really committed and you knew what you wanted and, you know, right. it worked out. And, and to you learned from it. Right. And to me, it's a matter of values as well. So just to be clear, when I came out of high school, I didn't have a lot of I was offered a partial scholarship to a I'm not even sure if it's D3. Was it D2? Western Oregon. I'm not sure what it is. It's either D2 or D3. Okay, But it was a partial scholarship. So if it was a full scholarship, I probably would have taken it, to be Uh honest. Like so. uh, So it wasn't I didn't have like a ton of options. So it was almost like. I didn't have much to lose. So I'm definitely not discouraging, you know, anyone from taking like it really doesn't matter, especially in football Mm -hmm. more than any school where you go. So it just depends on what your opportunities are. So another thing for me, I knew that if I went to Western Oregon, I also wasn't guaranteed anything. You see what I'm saying? So no one I wasn't high profile at all. So it was almost like it was like a free it was like a free shot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I didn't have nothing to lose. So I just decided to, to go for uh, the school where I felt like, you know, I would have uh, better competition. Um, and, you know, a lot has changed since 2000 and shit. That was 2003. Uh, I mean, who knows with the Internet now? <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I'm not trying to act like I was even being strategic at that point. Uh, I was just kind of going based off my instincts and my family wasn't even really that involved in my decisions. Um, I was kind of like on my own. It felt like uh, and it worked out for me. You know what I mean? And uh, I ended up transferring eventually to a smaller school anyway. So uh, but it worked out. How was that realization? You know, being so motivated to go to Oregon State, you know, walking on, being the underdog, trying to prove yourself. And obviously you wanted to play there and, you know, score touchdowns in that in that stadium. Now, how did right. that realization come to? All right. I got to get out of here. All right. I got to go somewhere else. Yeah, that's. That's actually it's a it's a uh, yeah I, I've been told this story before but basically so when I first got there uh, you know I was a walk on no, nobody really of course knew who I was you not walk ons are not even able to eat dinner with people you know yeah. what I'm saying like it's like <laughs> yeah. you're really like an unpaid intern mm-hmm. just not very well respected and so slowly but surely so I played scout team of course uh, as you know and so when we would play like USC I would play the fullback for USC right and mm-hmm. so. 
I would I, I would literally go so hard in practice where players would get mad at me. I was that dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. where the defense is getting mad. And I'm I'm literally looking like what you want me to do, man. Like yeah. I, I don't I don't know what you're telling me to do. So I didn't really know how to respond to it. But what happened was the coach, um, actually Paul Christ, he's the coach of Wisconsin now, right? So you know you remember Paul Christ? I don't know if you know him, but he's I, the I yeah, so he's the head coach at Wisconsin, but at the time he was the the offensive coordinator at uh, Oregon State, and so he was watching and seeing what I was doing to the scout team or to the uh, the first team uh, defense, and we Oregon State didn't use a fullback at that time, hmm. and so what he did was convince Coach Mike Riley to start letting me uh, to to put in a package for you know uh, short line and and go uh, short yardage and goal line uh, fullback and Mike Riley that wasn't really his style he was always a single back offense and so reluctantly he 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 started working me in and I remember against Washington State I smacked this dude we so had one play on a fourth down and one uh, it was my time to really it was like one of those things where yeah. if I didn't do my thing they were gonna pull me. Yeah. And I pancaked the dude. And from there, I started getting legitimate time. Like, And they started working me into the offense. I was playing special teams as well. And then I don't know why. Like, I really don't know why. But my second year, my playing time just started diminishing where they just they took out the and nothing really changed. Like it was very sudden and no one ever told me. And I was never really communicated with in a way that felt human to yeah. me. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's all, it's something even to this day when I talk about, it, I get mad. I'm yeah. like, man, these, they, they disrespected me. And I, I didn't like that. Like I felt, you know, yeah. I don't believe any athlete likes feeling undervalued. You know what I mean? Like it just felt like they didn't care about me. And so I started developing this kind of bad attitude. You know what I mean? And so, you know, like the meetings where the scout team meets up, I was, I was starting to get like this rebellious attitude. I almost didn't care. I remember like just, just doing Kind of like just kind of have like an, a, a poopy attitude, yeah. if you will. I've been there, man. And I've been I, and, there. Right. And I, I there was a it was like a few games into uh, my last year there. And I was just like, I don't like acting like this. I don't like feeling helpless like yeah. this. I don't like feeling like a victim. And so I made up my mind. And I remember it was actually on the sideline of a game where I wasn't getting no playing time. And I made up my mind. I was just like, I'm, I'm out of here. You know what I mean? I remember one of my friends, his name was Zach, and he was trying to convince me to stay. He was like, yo, man, like, we're like, you know, this is the Pac-10 and, you know, boom, boom, boom. And I'm just like, nah, man, like, I can't go out like this, bro. Like, and I was watching, there was other seniors who had been there for all these years or for like four or five years and they still were walk-ons even though they were playing a bunch yeah. and I was like dudes ain't about to give me a scholarship so I made a decision and during that season uh, towards the end I started sending out my emails etc and I was and I'm the I'm the type of dude where when I decide to do something like I'm doing it like I'm not I'm not I don't like halfway because I don't like that feeling of being uncertain yeah like I don't like that so if I if I feel helpless at all uh, that's not a good recipe for me in terms of, you know, uh, uh, feeling good and, of course, accomplishing things. So when I decided, I felt good. And it, there was a few schools. I, th- I know UMass uh, was another school that I reached out to. Yeah. Um, uh, Holy Cross was another school that I reached out to. Um, but, yeah, man, so it ended, up, it ended up working out. But that was what led to it. And it was really a firm decision. And once I decided, it was it was game over. Uh, you glad you made that decision? Absolutely, man. Like, I don't. I don't regret it at all. Of course, I, it, of course, it ended up, you know, the ultimate end result was what's best. But I'm not a I'm not a guy who likes to do a lot of armchair like yeah. quarterback and like, oh, if this happened, like it was what it was. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, and 
it could have very well turned out. I mean, I could have stayed, you know, maybe something good would happen there. But I love my time at Oregon State. I love a lot of the relationships that I built. I love the experience I had. And of course, I love what happened at Portland State as well. And I love the things that I learned along the way. Uh, And one of those being like the importance of and I tell this to athletes all the time, it's like you have to be the CEO of your career. Hmm. Like you can't rely on someone else to make the important decisions for you. And so just like any CEO of a company, if you're a young CEO, you're going to make some bad decisions. But just as long as they're your decisions, and then of course you learn from them Hmm. and evolve and keep it pushing. You see what I'm saying? So there's really not, uh, there's no mistake that you can't rebound from. Um, but, and I definitely made a lot of bad mistakes as the CEO of my career, but the important thing is to keep pushing, keep learning, keep evolving. Uh, cause soon enough you'll be an OG, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then you can look <laughs> yeah, back man. and be like, yeah, like I can see this, this, and this, and you can start to evaluate the different criterias for which you made decisions, things that I wasn't able to articulate then, yeah. but I look back and understand my reasoning and, and it made sense. A lot of it made sense. A lot of it didn't as well, you know, and that's why I had to go through my fair share of pain is also. That's amazing. That's, that's crazy, man. Um, how, so you said you had, you had a son in college as well at Oregon State? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was 19 when I had my first son. How are you, how are you dealing with football and having a kid at the same time? Yeah, man. It's so, uh, anyone who's had a kid when you're young and just so also, you know, my dad's a pastor. So, uh, all of me and my brothers all prided ourselves on, you know, staying virgins until we're married, you know, being in the church, et cetera. So when I had my first son out of wedlock, like that was scary, oh, bro. Like, especially with your dad being from, you know, being my dad, uh, yeah. if you will. So that was definitely scary. And I remember laying on my bed, you know, looking at the ceiling for like five hours straight. Once I got the news, trying to figure out what I was going to do. But what was funny is the next day I was excited. Like I was like, oh, shit, I'm about to have a kid. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and it was exciting yeah. to me. And from that day forward, I never really looked at me having a kid as if it was like a tragedy. I always, I'm always fascinated by people who act like when they're having a kid, it's like the hor- the worst thing. And it's like, after you get over the initial shock, you're getting ready to have a kid. Yeah. And that's an exciting thing. And for me, and you know this, cause I talk about death ground all the time. It's like, when you have a kid, for me, it was like, there's no way I'm not going to make it now. Cause my pride won't let me. I have a child. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then let it You're living for more than just yourself. Right. It's like I now I have a son, so now yeah. I have no choice. So that played big, big time into my decision to to transfer to Portland State. It was like, there's no way I'm gonna be sitting here playing without getting my school paid for. I have a child. Like I'm now responsible for another life. And I, I'm now a living, breathing example of what I want him to do and be. So I have to hold myself to a certain standard. So for me, I made a vow very early. I was never going to be the dude who made excuses about why he didn't do something because he had a kid. Mm. Like there was, there I was never going to do that. And so what that also led me to do ivory is I made decisions that a lot of other people wouldn't make. For example, I made yeah. a decision to stay there, stay working out in the summer not go back. So I sacrificed time with my son in the short term. I sacrificed things that a lot of people wouldn't do because I wasn't okay. I wouldn't be okay with the resentment and regret that I could have later. Right. So a lot of people give up what they want to do and then they end up resenting the person who they gave it up for, even though they didn't have to do that. 
You see what I'm saying? And again, yeah, I'm not exactly suggesting it's not about it's it's really comes down to whatever it is that you want and having more of a long term strategic approach to what you're doing. It's not like I left my son or, you know, never, you know, never saw him. But it's like, yo, making decisions like, yo, man, I'm a I'm going to see y'all in two months because I got like this is my time to make my dreams come true. And my dreams are not just about me. They're about my children as well. You see what I'm saying? So hmm. about my family. Yeah. And so it's just like, you know, a, a soldier leaving to the, you know, going going to fight a war. It's like, yo, I got to leave. I love y'all, but I got to leave because my 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 nation is calling me. You know what I mean? Like my my um my my it's it's bigger than than what than me, if that makes sense. And that's always yeah. how I've lived in any time that I've operated outside of that. Any time where I've said no to what my heart is telling me to do yeah. based on someone else, based on a woman, based on, you know, and my kids have never asked me to do that, by the way, which is which I, I value. But sometimes, you know, we get caught up with a certain type of chick and, you know, we're like, oh, no, we got to. Huh. It's like, nah, man, not me. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So uh, and that's also caused some pain as well. But again, it comes down to what you value. So my sons, you know, I had my second son right when I was done with um Right before I got to the league. So uh, but my children never have never prevented me from doing anything. No woman has ever prevented me from doing anything. I, I, my pride won't even allow me to admit that. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Even if that was true, like because it's my life, yeah. like it's my life. And I can't go to sleep at night knowing that somebody else or, or I should say blaming somebody else for why I didn't do something. So my children are a reason why I succeed, not a reason why I don't or something that's, that's holding me back, if you will. Nee, I feel like you've always had this I'm not you mindset. Like you, you teach it now, but I feel like you've always had it. Where does, what do these beliefs and values come from that you have? Man. Because I know for me, it comes from, you know, a lot of it comes from pain for me and just, right. you know, trying to get myself out of a better, put myself in a better circumstance. Right. Yeah, man. I, and it's, it, I'm so glad you said the pain because we see people that are like, oh, you know, this person's this or that or this person's got so much motivation or whatever. We all have something within us that can drive us like it might look yeah. different. Right. Like some people are real loud and boisterous. Some people are more low key. It, it really doesn't. It's, it's like hip hop. Like you can still be you can be laid back. You could be outgoing, whatever your style is. But we all have that in us. And just like you said, mine came started from pain, really. So there's a lot of elements about me, of course, that made me very independent. My dad would just, would laugh about how when we were young and, you know, we'd be playing Michael Jackson videos and my brothers would all be dancing in the uh, dancing in the living room. And he said he, he, he didn't know where I was at. And he'd come up to my bedroom. I was in my bedroom dancing, sweating, you know, what I'm saying? by myself, though. You know what I'm saying? So I've always been pretty reserved and shy and like to do things on my own. Yeah. But outside of that. I was the third out of four and I always felt different, uh, left out. You see what I'm saying? So I always felt like I wasn't really living up to my dad's standards. And there was really a, a real painful situation that happened in high school where my dad, you know, was oftentimes, you know, give me his lectures. And he said something that really like cut me real deep, you know, and uh, and uh, basically told me that, you know, I, w I wasn't. I wasn't making him happy. And he said it in a way that really, really cut me deep, man. Like uh -huh. I'll never forget it to this day. Um, and it hurt me. And it was at that time where I kind of, I kind of went on some real, <laughs> like you remember in Peyton Paul when he was like, man, I'm about to be on some real murder shit. Eh? <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm like, yeah. So I, I didn't know what to do with it because I didn't have anyone really helping me through it. And my mom was not very much emotionally there for me. Yeah. Uh, 
most of my childhood because of how what she was going through with my dad and the way that my dad was. And so I didn't have a lot of support from an emotional standpoint. And so I really just made up my mind that I couldn't please this dude. So fuck him. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I got angry. And that's how that's what one of the reasons why I love football. And I was always someone who was pretty self-determined, meaning like I, I decided to go after some. I go after it. But I had like a, a burning like desire to prove my dad wrong. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like really prove him wrong. And I remember I came back from when I transferred to Portland State. Right. So I lived with my parents for like a month until I got my own apartment when I came from Oregon State to Portland State. And I remember my dad giving me this lecture when I was there. I was living there for like a month and he was screaming at me like I was like 10 years old. And I remember breaking down crying, man. This is me like 20 plus years old. And I'm breaking down crying to my dad, talking about, man, like I can never make you happy. You know, you're always screaming at me. And I'm not a dude that cries. My kids to this day would be like, dad, I've never seen you cry. And he, my dad is is the only one who, who really brought that out of me. And I say that because I've always had this resentment towards the fact that I couldn't make him happy. You know what I'm saying? And that yeah. just turned me into someone who, was almost rebellious. So that's where the I'm not you came in. It's like, oh, you you're telling me I can't do that. Well, I'm not you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So when my when my when my guy Zach told me like, man, you shouldn't transfer this, I'm like, I'm not you. So you mm. can stay here and get taken advantage of for five years. Not me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like when I when I got out of Portland State, I had a coach who told me, yo, you got two kids now. Why don't you just chalk it up? Like I, by the way, I had surgery you know, right after or towards the end of my senior season. And I couldn't even do a lot of the things in the combine. Like I had a wrist surgery yeah. and my coach do like a coach who one who should believe in you and push you towards your dreams told me like, man, you should just kind of wrap it up like and work on getting a job. And I'm like, not me, man. Like some other suckers can do that. Not me. You know, I had friends who who because of three hundred dollar like fees to do a tryout and this and this and that wouldn't do it pass up on an opportunity to get to the league because they didn't have $300. That doesn't make any sense to me. When if some new Jordans came out, guarantee you they'll find the $300. Mm-hmm. They ask a girl for the money. They ask yep. their mom. They, they'll sell their TV. But you won't invest three. So I always look at those type of dudes like, I'm not you, man. Don't 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 compare me to, to those dudes. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and that was really born out of this resentment and, and frustration and hurt that came from my pops. And then, of course, you know, I had to come to grips with a lot of that pain a little later because it's only so far that that anger can take you. You know what I mean? So when I was 28 years old, you know, out of the league for a couple years and broke down again in front of my dad crying, you know, telling him how I just wanted to be his son. I just wanted to make him happy, you know, and, and, and him kind of standing there looking at me and not really giving me the response that you would think that you would get. It wasn't a movie response. You know, when you do that in the movies yeah. and then, you know, the dad comes up and hugs you. Nah, I didn't get no <laughs> hug. He'd like He didn't even acknowledge the shit that he did and said. Man. And you know what's funny after that, Ivory? What's That's up? when I was, I was born again. It was like I was finally over the idea of proving my dad wrong. It was like now I can actually come to grips with who I was. And that was the beginning of, of a lot of my evolution yeah. because – at that point in my life, I realized I couldn't I couldn't go any farther with that pain, only the pain. You see what I'm saying? I had to add a new element. And that's really what uh, what's the seeds that really started uh, with I'm not you uh, and really coming to grips with that pain. But it's still there. You know what I'm saying? Like, I still want to prove my dad wrong. You know what I'm saying? I love my dad. We have a way better relationship now. And um, 
and he's grown a lot as well. But the pain is there, man. It's not going nowhere. So why not use it? Why not channel it into something productive uh, in that way? And that's, of course, what I'm able to do. That's why I love it so much. Me at a young age, I think it was I was nine years old. And um, I think it was Christmas. And my dad had brought over. He's actually from Ghana. So he's ah, okay. yeah, yeah, first yeah. generation like your father. But he came over and dropped some presents up. And he was real dramatic. And I was just like, What's going on? Like, what? Are you, why, what's going on? And uh, I remember he dropped me off a present, and he said, "I like I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna be here for a while." And I'm like, "All right, I'll probably see you in a couple of weeks. It's all good." And, you know, to have right. my present, open it up. I would just I didn't even really like it didn't even register what he was really saying to me. Mm-hmm. But I was I was just looking at the gift, and then um, come to find out he was actually getting deported. Wow! And so you know I haven't seen him in like ten years. So there's a lot of pain that's built up from that. Right. Especially my father that I feel like just hearing your story, I have to I have to begin to hash out for me to move on and become a better version of myself. Right. So that's crazy. That's crazy because I relate to your story a lot, even though it's different instances, but it's still very similar. Definitely, man. And, and the challenge, man, is like getting to the point where not only can you, you know, access the pain and, and use it as fuel. But looking at the, the the trauma from the past and not looking at it as if it's a bad thing, quote unquote, and that really is a challenge, you know what I mean? Because looking at it as a bad thing and then responding to it with anger and, you know, and hurt and, and like sort of that anger is better than, than feeling depressed, right? So yeah. we, we, and I say we, because I imagine you are this way as well, you turn it into motivation, right? Exactly. But the challenge is, taking that motivation to the next level. Cause it's like, it's a low burning, it's a, it's a low quality fuel. You know what I mean? Mm, that yeah. can get you, it's kind of like, if you, you know, you remember the little race car games, you could press the button and it gets you that little boost. You could use it like that, but you can't, it's not sustainable. So in order to get to the next level, we have to be at, to get to MLK type levels motivation, right? We yeah. have to come to grips with the pain and then integrate it. You see what I'm saying? As opposed to looking at it like it's a bad thing or doing what a lot of people do, which is bury it and not even touch it. And then that's what comes up. It, the pain comes up when you least want it to. <laughs> you know what I mean? For sure. yeah. And that's what we call that dark side, you know, where um, we all have it. But our goal is to become aware of it and then, you know, bring it to the surface and then integrate it. And then we become unstoppable. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, that's all it is, man. But that's crazazy because I identify with your story a lot right I want right. to talk about um I want to talk about when did you realize like did you, when did you have the realization that all right this NFL thing is actually going to become a reality how was that process like you know getting done playing football and then having the Saints call you up on the phone talk oh, about yeah, you yeah. For a workout what was that like that was crazy I was just telling the story the other day so um you know when you have a dream to do something right and then when it starts getting real, it still feels surprising. Like I was just watching, I was watching the NBA draft last year with Zion, right? Yeah. And it was funny, everybody in the world knew he was going number one, but when he got drafted, he's so emotional. He's like, I, I still, I can't believe it, right? Because it's, it's like that weird, you know, sort of transition where a dream starts to become reality. So for me, it was senior year and I was like three games in to really balling. And it was a surprise for a lot of people. It almost like I came out of nowhere, but of course for me, I was ready. You know what I'm saying? So uh, it was, it was kind of what I was expecting, if you will, in terms of playing well and yeah. doing my thing. And I was getting a ton of touchdowns and, and playing real well. And I remember coming to the, you know, the, um, uh, to watch film, you know, before practice. 
And my coach, you know, came out and I was about to go into the, to the film room and he was like, he's like, no, no. And he was like, we got some scouts in there watching film. And, and I was like, oh, cool. And I, I remember seeing, and it was a, a Colts, you know, they, it was a, a, this black scout, black dude scout from the Colts. Yeah. And um, he wanted to meet me and he, you know, shook my hand. And the, the scout told me, and first of all, they were watching my film, which was already like, oh, shit, were you watching me? And then they, the scout told me, he said, you're, you're a better pass blocker than all of the running backs we have. And they had, that was when a Joseph Adai was there and stuff. And mm. I was like, oh, shit, like, word? Like, me? Like, you, so y'all, first of all, y'all watching me. And you, then you just told me that I'm, I'm actually doing things at a pro level right now. You know what I mean? Which, again, it was my goal, but it just was weird. <laughs> so at that point, it was like, oh, shit, like, it's really real. And I remember I started having some interviews and, you know, the news would come and ask me stuff. And it was, it was kind of surreal, you know what I mean? And um, about nine or eight, nine games into the season, I got hurt. Uh, but it, it was, I had enough validation to know, like, all right, I got a shot. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if I'm gonna get drafted. You know, there was some, and then I started cropping up on the little list, you know, and yeah. some people were projecting me to be an undrafted free agent. There was a few that were saying, okay, you could be a seventh rounder, et cetera. And then what was the trip is before the draft, I started getting all these phone calls from random area codes and there were scouts from it was like New York, the New England Patriots, the Green Bay Packers, and all they were really doing is just making sure that I'm sure they do this for all the people that are on their list. Yeah. But they they called me just basically saying, "Where are you going to be on draft day?" You know, just mm-hmm. making sure you know expressing their interest. And uh, it was a trip, man. It was like, yo, I'm I'm ready. So when the Saints called me on draft day, uh, I, I thought I was going to get drafted. Um, but they, they, they called me during like the sixth round or something. And they, they told me, they actually gave me the idea, the impression that they were going to draft me, but then they ended up picking me up and, uh, you know, as a rookie free agent and, uh, it was dope, man. I got a $5,000 signing bonus. And the first thing I did was I went to Macy's and bought two of the big, um, the big horse polos, <laughs> you know oh, what I'm man. saying? Like, I, oh, like I, I bought two of them joints because I remember I could never really afford the big, the big horse ones, which are like yeah. 120. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, it was just an awesome feeling, man. Like, it's it was really dope. That's awesome. What was like the biggest differences playing on the Saints than you know being in college? Oh man, uh, a lot. All right. So first, obviously, uh, it's the pros. So everyone's big, fast, and strong. So. Yeah. There's not, you know, on every team you're on, there's always like a few weak dudes. Like mm-hmm. nobody's weak. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody yeah. is legit. Even the people who are, who get cut. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. everybody's good. Everybody's, you know, got some sort of defining quality. You know what I mean? That like, that obviously lands them in the NFL. So that was a big deal. I would say, of course, the, um, the, the strength of everyone. Like, I mean, I was a fullback, so I blocked a lot. So the, this quality of, of linebackers that I was going up against, you know what I'm saying? Like these dudes is just big and strong and like good with their hands too. You know what I mean? So one of the things that was crazy is in college, I would like, I would have a lot of blocking type scenarios where they would allow you to engage. So you just go heads up. But in the NFL, I remember playing against um, Patrick uh, Patrick Willis. That was actually the first game I started. And he's a big dude, but he's not crazy big, right? But he's, he's mm. big and strong. But I could never block him. Like, he was so good with his hands. You see what I'm saying? So, at the pro level, 
everyone was more technical, technically sound. I remember when I was doing uh, special teams and on um, on punt, yeah, punt team, right? So you know when you you block, you have to block someone and then get rid of him and go try to yep. tackle. It was this little safety man, and this dude just knew how to get his hands in me, and I couldn't get him off me. <laughs> like, and I'm pretty sure I'm stronger than him in a weight room, but he just just grown manned me like just couldn't get off of it so yeah. little stuff like that man people are big fast and strong let me ask you this now mm-hmm. what you think the biggest differences were mentality wise between the players right man uh all right so mentality wise first of all there weren't all right, I'll, st- I'll start with the best of the best all right because I played with Drew Brees. I played with Jonathan Vilma, Reggie Bush, Deuce McAllister. Hmm. So just like any group of people, there's high performers. Yeah, there's the, there's the best of the best, right? Yeah. So you know, in practice, you know, guy, you got guys who come to practice, do the thing, and then leave practice. Mm-hmm. The best of the best, Drew Brees. Practice for him was almost just like one part of his incredibly dynamic routine. Does that make sense? Like. From the time he is there, of course he's always the first there. I don't, I, I don't, I didn't watch film with him, so I don't know what his film situation was like. But you already know that was crazy. But even from practice, he had a routine. He had a practice before practice. You see what I'm saying? So you know when guys are getting ready, laughing, joking, he's already out on the field. He's been on the field. Wow. And of course you have practice. Then you have post practice where everybody wants to go home and is eager to get get something to eat. Mm-hmm. He's in the in the in the weight room doing his little TRX. So he was one of the first person to use TRX. That was when TRX was, and he was doing all these weird exercises every single day, like every day. You see, this what I'm after this after practice, after practice, every single day, like without fail. Like it's not yeah. like oh, I just want. And he's just doing these little things, like just you know armbands and doing these little one legged, you know, uh, just every single day. Whenever I was and when I was hurt. He wasn't even hurt, and he was in the uh, the uh, the uh, training room. You see what I'm saying? So, what what that showed to me is like, all right, this is the level of commitment that this is why Drew Brees is so good. Like yeah. he's only if you see him, he looks like a dude, random dude you see at the grocery store. He doesn't have the biggest arm, but he's so accurate, of course. And then his 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 understanding of the game, and then he's so poised, so calm. You see what I'm saying? And you realize that poised and calm comes from being infinitely prepared. I'll give you another example. Uh, Reggie Bush, a dude who a lot of people see and and just, you know, say like, oh, he's just so fast, right? Like, you know, talented. And this dude lived in the weight room. We're talking about two-a-days. He'd be squatting 500-plus pounds in between practices. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that was another thing that, that always tripped me out. Like, these guys were committed at a whole nother level. You see what I'm yeah. saying? I'll give you another example with Drew Brees. When we eat in training training room. The, like we get food and then he, the chef's making him special food based on his awareness of his body. You know, of course, all clean food. So the, the amount of attention to detail uh, was next level. I mean, um, and then just the sense of urgency from everyone there. Like it wasn't a game. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of people take this shit so lightly and not to say you have to be like, you know, like all serious all the time. But there's just a sense of urgency and seriousness that these guys have where it's like, this is this is real life shit, man. Like, this is not a game. And, you know, these guys are having fun and things like that, but they take it serious. And uh, that was 
those are some of the main things that I saw from them in terms of mindset that set them apart. Yeah. Um, uh, definitely from guys like that, man. That's what it takes to be great. It's all the little things. It's, it's right. crazy because it's not even in football. It's, it's in life. It's right. when you're a CEO of a business, when you're a lawyer, you're an entrepreneur, whatever you do, it's the little things like that that, that really set you apart. So that's crazy. Right. You got to see it firsthand. Yeah. yeah. I hope you guys are enjoying this podcast with me and Niyu Sobu. And I hope you guys enjoyed his story. On the next episode, part two, Niyu is going to sit down with us and talk about what it's like to craft your environment He's going to talk to us about setting goals. He's going to talk to us about habits and routines. And we're just going to talk about what a mindset really is. Stay tuned. Please listen to the next episode. Continue to think gold. God bless. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.